uh, you're, that you're with us. Pray that this will be uh, a blessing to you, as I'm sure it will be uh, to those of us who are here this morning. Um, before we uh, get started and coming before the Lord to worship Him, uh, the Bible tells us that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom. Come to worship our great King uh, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, before we transition to some songs through which we will worship Him, let me give you some announcements. The first is that uh, immediately following the service, we will have a, a members meeting. Um, so uh, there will be, uh, at the end of this service, there will be some packets in the back um, and also a sign-up sheet uh, for people to, to write their names in. So uh, make sure that after the service, you grab that. Also, if you didn't on your way in, uh, we, uh, there are communion cups, uh, so feel free to take one of those. Uh, we will be doing that uh, later in the service. And then, also, I've been making this announcement uh, via newsletter for the past few weeks, but uh, this week we'll be transitioning to a new uh, kind of a giving uh, platform. Uh, we've always done PayPal. Uh, so when you go to the church website at secnh.com and you give online, it'll automatically take you to a PayPal website. Uh, but we're, it's actually, uh, from now on, taking you to a different platform. So if you do that uh, from here on out, if you see something different, that's normal, that's fine. Um, but uh, for those of you who might uh, have signed up for like uh, an automatic uh, recurring payment, uh, you do need to go to your PayPal account and, and, and put uh, and just put an end to that to stop the recurring payment. Um, and then when you go to the church website and it takes you to the new platform, you'll actually be able to uh, do the recurring payment if you like. Also, um, it does take uh, credit card and debit cards, but there's a preference for debit cards because it actually takes less fees than it does for credit card giving. Um, and we did this platform change because it actually collects less fees than it does through PayPal. Um, and then other than that, um, uh, I did mention uh, the newsletters. Uh, so for those of you who do not receive the weekly newsletter but would like to receive the newsletters, uh, please feel free to, to talk to me after the service and I can make sure that uh, your email address is part of the email distribution. Um, and in the newsletters, I just give like a weekly word or word of encouragement or exhortation, something to think about. But it's also links to the sermon uh, podcast where we have the sermons um, and the uh, book review uh, episodes as well, and it also has uh, announcements, and sometimes we'll also have prayer requests as well. It's kind of one of the main means of communication to the church throughout the week, and so if you want to be a part of that, please uh, let me know. So with all the announcements that I uh, have this morning, let's go to the Lord and let's worship Him this morning. Amen. Our church, let's stand and worship this morning. Amen. Uh, so before we do that, Let's lead us into, uh, let's, let's go into our call to worship. Um, I'll be reading out of Psalm 30 this morning. It's verses 11 through 12. And the word of God says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have uh, loosened my sackcloth and, and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. Let's do just that this morning and give thanks to the Lord. Amen. Let the glory of the Lord forever be our joy. May redemption be the theme of our song for by grace we have been saved and by grace we shall proclaim to the corners of the earth 
that Christ is come. Let the nations be glad. Let the people rejoice for salvation belongs to our God. Yes, Lord. Let the whole earth be filled with the praises of the Lord for salvation
grace and peace. Grace and peace. Oh, how can this be? The matchless King of all paid the blood for us. good. You are good. You are good. When there's nothing good in me, you are love. You are love on display for all to see. You are light. You are light. When the darkness closes in, you are hope. You are hope. You have covered all my sin. You are peace.
saying you are more you are more you are more than my words will ever say you are lord you are lord all creation will proclaim you are here you are here in your presence i may hold you are god you are god of all else i'm letting go This morning, in spirit, and through song, and in truth, through your word. God, you are good. Today, Lord, I, I pray that our hearts, um, that we may continue in worship um, as we go into your word. Lead us this morning, Lord, to fall before your feet, Lord if needed, but that we may acknowledge you, Father, that we may acknowledge the cross, the saving grace, the salvation that has been gifted to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Let us concentrate and focus on that this morning. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Church, uh, you may be seated. Let me read to us from Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Father, We read also here in the book of Hebrews that long ago and many times and in many ways you have spoken to us by your prophets, but in these last days you have spoken to us by your Son, whom you have appointed as the heir of all things. God, your King, who is Jesus Christ, is seated now at your right hand in the heavenly places, and he is enthroned forever and ever. He is your king, and we humbly submit to him as our Lord, and we worship him as our Savior. Gracious Father, you have made us citizens of the kingdom of Christ. But we come before you, and we confess that at different times, even in this past week, perhaps Even this morning, for some of us, we have not lived out this citizenship. Instead, we have lived as sons and daughters of the world. But Lord, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. Help us to turn to you this morning and strengthen us by your Spirit to live out this heavenly citizenship. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning for the Remmers. We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that they may not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but as he who called them is holy, that they may continue to be holy in all their conduct. Direct their paths as they plan for the future. Direct their paths, Lord, as Terry retires from work. We pray that you might bless the daughter Allison and her husband Alberto as they begin life together as a married couple. Lord, may their marriage be a powerful display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, we also pray for the Rollins. Lord, we pray that you might bless them and direct them as they proceed in their embryo adoption. Lord, your word says that the children of one's youth is like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And Lord, we pray, we pray and we ask that you would bless, bless them with many children, Lord, as they desire. 
that you would fill their quiver with them. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning also for those of us, Lord, for saints, for your people, Lord, who may be in times of affliction, in times when great endurance is needed. Father, the book of James tells us, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Lord, help them to stand and to withstand. Help them, Lord, to persevere. Help them, Lord, to remain, to have in their hearts a vibrant love for you, even under trial. We pray that you might also provide relief for them from their distresses. Lord, we ask that you might help us in our evangelism. Your word tells us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called for your own possession so that we might proclaim your excellencies. Help us, Lord, to be proclaimers of your glorious excellencies. Help us to be proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that your word will be burning in our hearts in such a way that we cannot contain it, just as Isaiah the prophet experienced. Lord, give us wisdom, persuasiveness, give us a winsomeness, and we pray, God, that you may soften hearts as we compel people to listen to the words of Christ and be drawn to Jesus Christ. God, we pray this morning also for Dover Baptist Church. Lord, we pray that their citizenship would be lived out on a daily basis. You have transferred them, Lord, into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Would you help them and guide them and give them wisdom to live out their heavenly citizenship? Remind them of the blessing and the promises that come with that citizenship, such as eternal life, a heavenly home, glorification, and most of all, the treasure that is Christ. Lord, you are enthroned forever and ever, and we eagerly await the establishment of your kingdom upon this world. And until that time comes, Lord, we pray that there would be a repentance in our country. We pray that many upon many people, from the wealthy to the poor, from all races and languages, from all cultures, from political leaders to even false teachers and heretics in the world, Lord, that all people from all walks of life would bow the knee to King Jesus. We pray that you would shine your light through all your people so that all men might see their good works and give glory to the God of heaven. Lastly, we pray this morning, God, for all those who are in management positions, for those who lead to some capacity, for those who might have people working under them. Lord, may you help their leadership and their management to be carried out with a humility and a gentleness that comes from the gospel of Christ. Give them wisdom for every decision. May their hard work produce fruits, and may you use them as instruments for your grace. Lord, we trust you for all of these things. And God, we look forward to all that you are going to do. Lord, and we join our hearts this morning as we pray also the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Please turn to Psalms. We're going to Psalm 9 this morning. Psalm 9, beginning at verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgments. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, and the net that they hid their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are enthroned forever and ever. And we come before you this morning and we are asking, Lord, that you would speak your powerful words into our hearts this morning. And that you would cause them to bear fruit through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The the New Testament scholar D.A. Carson makes this helpful uh, distinction between these different kingdoms that we see specifically in the New Testament, but we really see it all over the Bible. We understand God, our creator, as the one, obviously, who created all things, that God is sovereign. His sovereignty points to the fact that God orchestrates all things according to the counsel of his will, that he purposes all things for his own glorious purposes and ultimately for his own glory. 
And God, as the creator, as the one who is sovereign, also points us to the fact that God is the supreme ruler over all things. And with God being the ruler over all things, it means that everything is under his dominion. That everything that he has created is a part of his kingdom broad. So anything and everything in the world is part of that kingdom. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, you can't escape it. No matter how much you try to deny it, everyone belongs to this kingdom of God. But then we also see in the scriptures the kingdom narrow. That is sort of a subset of the kingdom broad, a kingdom within a kingdom. And we see this so explicitly and so vividly in the New Testament. You see this in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches and says, for example, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus even says that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So there's the kingdom broad where everything belongs to God and everything is under his sovereignty, but then we also see a kingdom narrow, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that we also see here in Psalm 9. And so when we look to the psalm, what we see are some references to the city of God, to the kingdom of heaven. And there are some things that we learn from Psalm 9 about the city of God, or this heavenly city. We learn first about the citizens of this heavenly city. So in verse 11, it tells us, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. Later on in verse 14, we, say, we see that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. So there's references to this particular place called Zion. So the question is, what is Zion? And the first reference we see to Zion is in 2 Samuel 5, verses 6 through 8. I won't read the passage, but what's happening here is King David is enthroned, and he's after Jerusalem. But Jerusalem has been taken over by pagans, by Jebusites. And it is here that we see the reference to Zion as the city of David, or also known as Jerusalem. And we see that the city of Zion then begins to take a special significance when we come to Psalm chapter 2, when it talks about God setting his king on the throne. That is Zion. In Psalm 48, we see another reference to the the city of Zion. It says in Psalm 48, verse 1, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is a joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. So we know that the city of Zion is the city of the great king. Isaiah 51.11 also tells us, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sign shall flee away. So Isaiah 55 tells us some more about the city of Zion, the city of the great king. And in this city, 
there will be everlasting joy, that there will be gladness, there will be no more sighing, that the ransomed of the Lord will dwell there. Isaiah 59, 20, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord from this time forth forevermore. So that passage then tells us that the Redeemer will dwell in Zion. That those who turn from their transgressions will dwell in the city of Zion. But then we also have a foreshadow of the Spirit of God and His ministry after the ministry of Jesus Christ on the cross. It talks about the spirits being upon the people, and the Spirit shall not depart from the people. Right? We see this. So we are taught this in the New Testament that believers and followers of Jesus Christ are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And so we. See other references in the New Testament, for example, in chapter 12, 15, verse 15 of John, it's talking about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. There's a quotation there about Jesus being the king of the city of Zion. We see references in the book of Romans as well, of the city of Zion, and that being ascribed to the city of God and Jesus being the king of that heavenly city. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's another reference. Verse 21, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, the sight of God. But you, that is you and I, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the innumerable angels in feastal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The city of God, the Mount Zion, the city of the living God, where God dwells, where Jesus dwells, where the spirits of the righteous also dwell. So Zion is the city of God. It's where God's King Jesus is enthroned forever and ever, and where only the righteous dwell. So Zion is a subset of the broad kingdom of God that will one day become the broad kingdom of God. A kingdom that is right now, as we speak, currently broadening and expanding. And this is helpful and important as it relates to the passage because it helps us to determine for whom does God provide. We see references in the passage to those who are afflicted, to those who are in destitute, to those who are oppressed, to those who are needy, to those who are poor. The question is, when it has those references to the afflicted, to those who are oppressed, is God coming to the aid of all those who are oppressed without exception? I think based on the passage, that the answer is no. It isn't all without exception. It is not that God never listens or hears the prayers of those who cry out to him, who do not know him in a personal way. God, in his gracious and kindness, can respond to such individuals. But the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are in a different position because when they cry out to God, they can rest assured that God listens with an ear to respond to their cries. 
But how do we know that the afflicted, the oppressed, and the needy and the poor, according to the passage, is speaking to those who belong to the city of God? Well, earlier in the passage in Psalm 9, the author tells us that God has maintained his just cause and that God rendered a right judgment and that his enemies has taken flight. So God has come to the author's aid. And so what we need to find out is, well, then what made the author, what put the author in such a position to receive or to have the ear of God that God would respond to his cries? In verse 9, it tells us that the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And verse 10, verse 10 clarifies what verse 9 means. And those who know your name put their trust in you for you or because you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. And the oppressed, the passage defines as those who put their trust in the name of God. It is those who seek the Lord. Verse 13 and 14 says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, so that I may recount all your praises, so that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The author is coming to the Lord. He's crying out to God, Deliver me, O Lord. And why does he cry out to the Lord? Not only because he needs help and deliverance, but he also tells us it's so that he can recount the praises of the Lord. So that he can rejoice in the salvation of God. Right, that teaches us something about when we cry out to the Lord. Right, Let us cry out to the Lord because we need him. Because we are in a time of affliction. Because we are being oppressed by whatever it is that is happening in our lives. But let us also cry out to the Lord so that we may in turn praise the Lord, so that we may recount his salvation, that we may tell people of his wonderful deeds in our lives. Because only the citizens of the kingdom of heaven proclaim the salvation of God in a way that they love the Lord and delight in his salvation. The afflicted and the oppressed and the needy and the poor are those who put their trust in God. And when they put their trust in God, they have a confidence in God. We cannot measure the help of God by our senses, by what we perceive, by what's going around, around us, by our eyes, by even by what we feel. And the citizens of this heavenly city, they delight in God. The afflicted, the oppressed, and the needy, and the poor are those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, when it comes to affliction and oppression, I think we have a tendency to narrowly define those terms. But I think the Psalms help us to kind of broaden our definition of what it means to be oppressed and afflicted. When we think of being oppressed and afflicted, we think of the most dire circumstances. We think of the worst situations that one can be in. We might even think of those who are persecuted for the faith. We see the Psalms have so much 
sort of a, this language of emotion where we can't always take everything literally. When he's talking about being afflicted or in destitute or in poor, it doesn't always mean that he is in or that the author is or whoever's crying out to God is actually without food or without finances or has no place to live. Like, for example, in verse 13, the author says, O you who lift me up from the gates of death. It's not that he was moments away from dying, but he's actually communicating to God what he's actually feeling in the moment. God, I feel like I'm on the brink of death because of what is happening in my life. Any moment or situation that compels you to cry out to God can be described as a moment of affliction or as a moment of oppression or as a moment where you feel like you are in destitute, where you are needy, where you feel like you are poor in spirit and you have nothing left to give. And the hope of this psalm is that citizens of the city of God have a king that's on their side. That they have a king who is with them, a king who is a stronghold for those who seek him out, for those who put their trust in him. That this king is on the throne and that his citizens have the ear of the king. And that when they cry out to the king, the king listens. And his intention is to respond. And knowing that, secondly, we can have a confidence concerning the wicked. So this is much more generally, and later we will come much more broadly speaking more about, our, about personally, or not personal lives, but regardless, knowing that there is a king on the throne and it's establishing his righteousness, establishing his kingdom, we can have a confidence concerning the wicked. But we, before we get to talking about that, because we see in the passage that God listens to the cries of those who are citizens of his kingdom, it's important for us to define what it means or what it is to be a citizen of that kingdom. How does one become a citizen of that kingdom, right? If the author was one who was on the right side and God came to his aid, we want to be on the right side as well. In verse 3, it says, When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgments. Then verse 7. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. Righteousness in the scriptures is a legal term. Righteousness oftentimes in the scriptures means that it, it, it embodies all that God expects of his people. It's a legal term, but it is also based on a special relationship with God. 
already a, you can see the impossibility. Based on that definition of righteousness, you see the impossibility of righteousness. There's no way that we can actually embody all that God expects of us, of his standards, of his perfections, of his holiness, of his righteousness. And because of that, there is no way that on our own we can actually have a relationship with him. Uprightness, right? God judges the world with uprightness means that God judges all on the same level. Often in the Psalms, the author makes an appeal to God based on his personal righteousness. And this isn't sort of a, he's not gloating, he's not being prideful. But it is a righteousness that you know is ultimately not his. It's an alien righteousness, a righteousness that's been credited to his account. A righteousness that comes from believing in God and walking in his ways, grounded in a personal relationship with God. In Romans 4.18, which is sort of an interpretation or an explanation or even a teaching on the story of Abraham in the Old Testament. In Romans 4.18, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, the promise that he would have an heir and that through his line all of the nations will be blessed, that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars of heaven. No unbelief made him waver concerning that promise that comes from God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. In John 3, in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, he tells him that you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Faith is trusting in God. Faith is trusting in the promises of God. Faith is following God against all odds. When everything that we perceive by our senses tells us to doubt God, to run away from God, to flee from God, to no longer trust God, faith is continuing to hold on to God. And God counts that as righteousness. And through faith, we can have a personal relationship with God. And what Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 in his conversation with Nicodemus is that being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is nothing short of a miraculous event. Right? On our own, you cannot be born again. Jesus is saying that you have to be somebody different in order to, be, to have admittance into the kingdom of God. You have to be somebody completely new, somebody completely different. And this is nothing short of a complete transformation. And Jesus tells us that the only way to receive that transformation is by believing in him. Believing that he is the son of God. Believing that he came into the world. Believing that he died on the cross. Believing that he rose again from the dead. And when you believe in that message, with all of your heart, and you follow the Lord Jesus with all of your life, 
and the Spirit of God comes into your life and that you are regenerated, that you are born again and are made into a citizen of the city of God. And faith in God is also a love for the king. Right? You know that you are a citizen of the city of God when you know that you love the king of that city. For the kingdom broadly consists of the righteous and the wicked, but it's only temporarily. Because notice also in the passage, God's judgment upon the wicked. In verse 5, it says, You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you looted out. The very memory of them has perished. Rebuked. Perish. Blotted the name out forever. Cities. The city of man being rooted out. The very memory of them has been perished. In other words, the city of God will ultimately be the kingdom of heaven where there won't even be a memory of the wicked. It will be as if the wicked had never existed. Verses 15 and 16 of the passage describe the boomerang of God, that those who are wicked ultimately prepare themselves for destruction because God visits their wickedness upon them through God's divine judgment. Describes a return to Sheol, the passage says. And it concludes with a prayer. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. This isn't a vengeful prayer that God take vengeance on my enemies, but this is ultimately a prayer that God would establish his kingdom on the earth. Like we pray on Sunday mornings, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a prayer for God to establish his righteousness. It is a prayer that God would establish his kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom where there will be no more oppression, no more affliction, no more suffering, no more pain, no more agony, no more wickedness, no more sin, no more war, no more evil, no more crying, no more depression. An end to all wickedness. Sometimes we want to Sometimes we have a tendency to avoid reading or watching the news because what seems to be on the news is mostly bad things. Right, I understand that, but sometimes we need to be reminded of the wickedness that there is in the world. Right, that is the painful reality of this world. I mean, the world has lived through two world wars, one taking over 20 million lives, the other taking over 70 million lives. We live in a world in which, in this country alone, 60 million children have been aborted. Some statistics show that currently there are estimation of about 20,000 people incarcerated who are actually innocent. We live in times when there are riots violent protests, 
the global pandemic. According to Open Doors, 245 million Christians experience high level of persecution because of their, of their following Jesus. Over the last two millennia, 70 million Christians have been martyred because of the faith. Right, those are heavy statistics. Those are painful realities. And I understand the tendency to kind of want to not think about those things. Perhaps even a tendency to maybe pretend like those things don't exist because wickedness and evil is weighty. But sometimes we need to be reminded of these things. And not even, it's not even including the things that we experience in our own personal lives. The things that we endure, the hardships that we endure, even our struggles with personal sins in our lives as a reminder to us that things are not right in the world. But sometimes we need to be reminded of these things. One reason, because it should drive us to pray. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, establish your city upon this world. Banish all ungodliness from the world. And sometimes we need to be reminded of these painful truths because it can serve as a reminder to us to not perceive things with our senses but to continue to put our trust and confidence in the king who is currently establishing his righteousness in the world and will one day fully establish his righteousness upon the world. My home, I have a garden bed, two garden beds. Some of you have seen it. One of them has just grown out of control. We planted zucchini and, different, and melons, and it's just, it's grown over the fence, it's grown through the fence, it's grown o- under the fence. It's even kind of reached into the, the what do you call it, the, the, our sandbox. I mean, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And it's actually pretty cool to see. And if you look closely, you see these little vines that keep twirling, these little swirls. And they're, the vines are actually attempting to, to grab onto the grass beneath it. And the vines are intended to make roots into the ground. So if you try to pull up those vines, it, it, there's actually some tension. That's what the kingdom of God is like. When you look at the world, it may not seem like the king is actually on the throne establishing his righteousness. Right, but we're not called to perceive things by our senses. We're called to perceive things according to the word of God. The kingdom of heaven is like that garden bed. It continues to spread out. And there isn't like this negotiation between the vine and, and, and the grass. Like, can I, can I plant myself here? No, the, the vines just kind of take over. In the city of God and the city of man, there's no negotiation between the two. The city of God is not intended to negotiate and come to terms with the city of man. It means to take over. Slowly, gradually, but it is. And one day it will completely take over. All wickedness will be banished. 
and righteousness will be perfectly established forever and ever and ever. It continues to expand. It continues to grow. We put our confidence in that. And also, lastly, we praise the king because he is establishing his kingdom. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. It's interesting because this is a psalm of lament, and yet the psalmist begins by praising God, by worshiping the Lord. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. And in that way, we see that the kingdom of heaven is expanding. When we look past, in the past, when we look at our lives and see in the ways that God has worked in our lives, when God has worked in the lives of others, we see that God is still working. Past deliverances, they give us hope for the present. And present deliverances today, when God comes through today, when we cry out to God and God comes through and God provides and God delivers and God gives strength, it serves to boost our confidence in the expansion of the city of God. Reminds us that, yes, there is a king on the throne and he listens to the cries of his people and he answers. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion, says verse 11. Tell among the people his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the wicked. He does not forget. The king does not forget. The king listens. The king responds. The king is seated on the throne. The king is establishing his kingdom. And the kingdom is here. We fast forward to the New Testament. We see in the Gospels the birth of a king. We see angels proclaiming to shepherds that the king is born. Go and worship him. And this legion of angels in the heavens proclaiming that a king is born. When the angels proclaim to these, these wise men to go and see the king, they find the king and they bow down and they worship him. When Jesus begins his ministry, it tells us that he preaches saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning that the kingdom is here. And why is the kingdom here? Because the king has arrived. And then if we go all the way to the book of Revelation, we see in verse 11, the seventh, in chapter 11, verse 15, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So today, our responsibility as citizens of the city of God is to proclaim among God's people his wonderful deeds. And when we do, it reminds us that we have a king on the throne, when we proclaim the wonderful deeds of God amongst us, it is also an invitation to worship. Look at what the king has done. Look at what the king has provided. Let us worship him together. Let us glorify him. When we tell of God's wonderful deeds, 
it also bears witness to unbelievers that there is a king who comes through who is for his people. And we, when we proclaim what the king has done, there's a growing confidence in our lives. Because there are times when we are tempted to doubt. To doubt when we look at the world and we hear these staggering statistics and we see the wickedness that is in the world, when we see even wickedness in our own personal lives, we might be tempted to doubt whether or not there is a king on the throne. We might be tempted to doubt whether or not king, the king is actually establishing his righteousness. Where is the king? Where is the kingdom? First Thessalonians 4.16 speaks to that. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And here's the imperative. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In other words, encourage one another with the coming of the Lord Jesus. The King is coming. The king will establish his kingdom on, in the world. And that's intended to be a means of encouragement to our hearts to continue to wait, to continue to endure. Sometimes we're tempted to question whether or not the king is good. Lord, why am I suffering? Why am I going through this particular ordeal? Why is this situation happening to me? Why is this situation happening to somebody that I love? Are you actually good? James 5, 7 tells us, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Those who continue to wait patiently and continue to put their trust in the King will experience the compassion and the mercy of their great king. So therefore, be patient. Continue to wait on the Lord. Establish your hearts, for his coming is at hand. So the times when we are tempted to interpret our situations by our senses, when we look at what's happening, when we hear about what's happening, when we feel a certain way, we might be tempted to doubt the goodness of the Lord. And I love this particular story in 2 Kings. So for some context, the pagan nation was after the people of Israel and, they, they, and their plans continue to be thwarted. It's as if somebody is telling the Israelites what's about to happen. 
And so finally, the king of this pagan nation says to his people, to his, to his subjects, to his servants, all right, who is the traitor here? Because somebody is telling the enemy about our plans. And one of the servants actually say, actually, that's not the case. The Israelites have a prophet, Elisha, who already knows what's going to happen before it happens. And so the, this king then sets out his army to, to surround the city where Elisha resides. And this is what happens, 2 Kings 6, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Sometimes when we perceive things by our senses, we respond to like, like the servant. The enemy is around us. This is much bigger than us. This is much bigger than me, Lord. I can't survive this. I can't get through this. But the scriptures remind us, look to the king. Open your eyes of faith and see that you actually have a greater army surrounding you than what is actually happening to your life. That whatever is happening, whatever is that has caused you to be distressed, pales in comparison to the king who is on your side and the army that is on your side. Right, our job is not to know exactly how things will turn out, but our job is to simply to trust in the Lord, to put our confidence in him, and to remember that we have his ear and he intends to listen and to respond. And that he does come through for his people. The citizens of the heavenly city have a growing confidence, a confidence in the establishment of that city and the destruction of all wickedness, and confidence in the king who is enthroned in that city. So then let us worship and praise the king who is enthroned forever and ever. Let us tell one another in the world about his wonderful deeds. And let us not look at the things of the world with our natural physical eyes, but let us look at them with the eyes of faith. And we can see the things that are happening in the world and not become utterly hopeless because we believe in a king who is establishing his kingdom even now as we speak. So with all that, one wonderful way that we can respond this message and to the truth of the reality of the kingdom of God and how we are citizens of that kingdom is by taking communion together. So if you haven't yet, there are some communion cups in the back table. Feel free to make your way back there and pick them up. In the Gospels, we have Jesus tells us a parable about how the king put on a great wedding feast for his son and how many were invited to that wedding feast. That many were invited, the invitations were sent out, and when it came to the time for them to arrive, 
They didn't want to. They had better things to do than to come and rejoice in this celebration. Instead, the king commands his subjects to go out into the streets, go out into the neighborhoods, and invite people to come into the banquet and celebrate with the king. And those who did not come to the wedding feast, who were originally invited, were those, are those who depend upon their own righteousness. And those who received the invitation afterwards, living in the streets, in the neighborhoods, who came to the wedding feast, are those who have been called by the king and have chosen to accept the call of the king through faith and repentance. And so what's wonderful about this, this time where we can take the Lord's Supper together, it's, it, it's, it's a small reminder, it's a small picture of that parable. And it's a small picture of what we will one day get to enjoy in heaven. We have this feast together with all the saints to celebrate the King who is Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and your life is characterized by the righteousness and the holiness that God requires, not perfect sinlessness, but if your life is characterized by holiness, your life is characterized by the repentance that God requires, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus, if you love the King, if you have received baptism, then you are invited to take this meal with us as a brother or sister in Christ, whether or not you are a member here at the church. But if you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and embrace Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and as your King, and I would just simply ask that you not take this meal with us because the scriptures do tell us that anybody who drinks this, this meal in an unworthy manner that is apart from faith are drinking judgment upon themselves. And so to spare you of that particular judgment is better that you not take this meal with us. But even as we take this meal, I pray and hope that you would consider the gospel, consider the kingdom, consider the king, and put your life in the hands of the king so that you may be a citizen of that heavenly city of God that is currently being established and will one day be perfectly established in the world. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, let this be a reminder of what Christ has done. That the cost of your citizenship was pricey and it cost the very blood of Jesus Christ. So regardless of what your week has been like, regardless of what you've done or did not do, regardless of the sins that maybe you have committed even this very morning, this meal reminds us that you have a gracious and merciful king who has forgiven you of all your transgressions, that through his blood you've been declared righteous, and that you have a personal relationship with God through him. So you can take this meal with absolute and complete confidence. 1 Corinthians 10.23, it tells us, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Let's take this together.
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Jesus, we, we worship you. We glorify you. Because not only are you the king over the city of God, but you are our personal king. Even though we live in a world where there are competing cities, the city of man and the city of God, we thank you, Lord, because we know that your city, that your heavenly kingdom is being established, that it is expanding, it is taking root, and will one day take over the entire world. And in that city, only the righteous will dwell. We pray that you would help us to long for that day. We pray that you would help us to pray for that day. And we pray that you would help us to prepare for that day by continuing to live in a righteous manner. Through our faith in the King and the personal relationship that we have with you through that King. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand in in response in response to today's word let's let's worship and sing uh, let your kingdom come amen Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. The cross has saved us, so we pray your kingdom Her. 
kingdom may continue to come. Uh, Lord, we await, Lord, for that day for you, Lord, uh, to come and fully reign here on this earth. Lord, how we long to have you now. Um, but we will wait. We will wait, Lord, and we will trust in you. We will continue to keep our eyes focused on you, Father, um, through all trials and temptations, um, may we keep our eyes on you. And with that, Lord, uh, let us, uh, today's benediction is out of Psalm 24, verses 3 and 6, and it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Amen. Church, uh, God bless you. You are not dismissed just yet. Um, actually, five minutes. Let's stay here for five minutes. Uh, I believe we'll be having some uh, announcements, some extra announcements on behalf of Joe. Or five minutes downstairs and then coming back upstairs. Is that what we're doing? Five minutes downstairs and then we're coming back upstairs for our, uh, our, our meeting, our church meeting. You are dismissed. Amen. God bless you.